1: We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened?
2: I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to
1: take this anymore!
0: I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain.
2: I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore!
0: This whole thing is insane!
2: This whole thing is
3: insane!
2: Three hundred years ago you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all
0: men of power want? More power.
2: This is now the United States of Zombie Land. This whole thing is insane! And is even
1: capable of nothing but
0: destruction.
2: Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of.
0: More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More are
2: There can be
1: only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? it's such a strange
0: phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what
1: you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it just is. It just is. Even in a world where men have nipples and Peter Sellers continues to get away with wearing brown face in the party. Birdie num num. But it's all good when you get the audio version of Aeon Bite Live. This one episode 46. Raw and censored and unfiltered, just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. Adam Driesey, author of Eden and Entheogens, joined us for a multidimensional journey into the ancients Entheogen used for consciousness expansion. Much of this was based on Terence McKenna's Stoned Ape Theory. We covered new insights on the genesis of civilizations like Atlantis, Phoenicia, Egypt and Israel, and how ancient Gnosis was carried forth in shamanistic, psychedelic movements. This includes many of the Old Testament exemplars like Moses, David, Solomon and Abraham. Behind a history of religious censorship, we find many getting high to reach high spiritual places. As I mentioned in the show, as a bonus, I'll include for Patrons and AB Prime members my interview with Danny Nemo, author of Nero Apocalypse. He takes the approach of cannabis and DMT being a chief entheogen in ancient biblical times great compliment and you'll love Danny's insights as well truly appreciate those of you who support this red pill cafeteria I'm honored by your company the morific content will continue with shows on Jung's black books, Blavatsky and hermetic philosophy coming down the pipe don't go anywhere in any aspect you're only just reaching your potential we need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say, and as I always say, you won't find this high quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom, or many guests and their unique insights, anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. But enough of my short drivel. Let us to our latest AB Live with Adam Dreesy.
0: You see, I keep thinking that what we need is a new language a language of the heart. Languages in the Polish forest where language wasn't needed. Some kind of language between people that is a new kind of poetry. That's the poetry of the dancing bee that tells us where the honey is. And I think that in order to create that language, you're going to have to learn how you can go through a looking glass into another kind of perception where you have that sense of being united to all things, And suddenly, you understand everything.
1: Happy heresies, and welcome to the desert of the real. I know Adam liked that introduction, and we'll introduce that. (laughs) Smiling the whole way through. So, yeah, yeah, we passed our first test. Welcome, everybody, to AB Live. So happy to see you uh here we are in the desert of the real this is not WandaVision. this is Sophia vision because we're all trapped in some terrible bad software and some <laughs> terrible sopranos plot and whatever movies we were talking before the show started uh, <laughs> our meager lives so welcome everybody and yes with us we have the honor of being joined by adam drissi adam how are you
2: uh, it's great to be here man i'm just i'm super excited yeah it's great I'm doing great, thank you.
1: It's great to have you on here at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss your book Eden and Entheogens. And yes. with us too, we've got the Moon Dog Vance. Vance, how are you doing tonight or today okay. well, This turn on now?
3: Well, you know, I, I think I'm in California, but actually, I'm actually trapped in New Jersey with the Sopranos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a very weird sink. We've both been watching the Sopranos, rewatching yeah. the Sopranos. So.
3: I grew up in Lodi, Lodi, New Jersey. It's practically at the end of uh, at the end credits. It's credited just about every episode. Lodi, I know all those towns. So,
1: How far away are am. you from Newark?
3: Newark, oh, like a half hour or less. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, Belleville that was where my music store was. You know, I used to go take saxophone lessons.
1: Yeah, I know uh yeah, I know Newark cuz obviously there's a big Portuguese community these days, so, Ah,
3: you know, stuff there music. Yeah, yeah. Cotton Francis w- w- went to my music store.
1: Mm, very cool. Very cool. So welcome everybody. Uh again, we will be discussing obviously by the title of Adam's book in Theogens and Ancient Times. Fascinating read. Uh, we will hopefully have some visuals as we go along. As the spirit moved us, move us, move us, move the. the. Uh, I need more coffee. Should have had more coffee after dinner. As the spirit moves us. And as always, if you have questions for Adam, please write them in all caps. Or don't be lots shy. of questions. Yeah, don't be shy. He's, yep, don't be shy. Uh, excellent. He's an excellent researcher, and his book covers so much. Not just from the entheogens, but archaeology, anthropology, migration, ancient history, from Atlantis to the days of King David, even some other surprises beyond that. So it's very cool. And uh, well, Adam, why don't we start? How did you come about to uh, writing your book?
2: Well, yeah, it's, I mean, probably a long story. I mean, it's kind of, I've always been curious about the Bible, I guess. Um, so it's, it's been something I've been interested in basically since I was a kid. So, um, it, but I guess, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I started like thinking, you know, maybe some of this is historical and, you know, um, so I, I just, Uh, it's been years and years of kind of reading through the Bible and reading other stuff online and watching your show too, actually. Um, And is that, that kind of process kind of put together a lot of things. And I said, I just said to myself, I was going to try and write a book and put it all in this kind of condensed form uh, so that other people can access it too. And hopefully so that we can have these kinds of conversations about the, uh, the role of entheogens um, in in the past and you know what that means concerning you know these religions today and all this stuff so yeah
1: awesome and yeah. Uh, your book is not at bookstores this is something everybody has access to it and it's a it really it's a living book
2: yes it really is actually yeah so i've, I've published this on the the internet archive so it's free for everybody it's an ebook. um you know, I'm not selling it or anything. So, you know, it's something that I hope will be used as like a resource and maybe as a reference point for some people to look at this information and kind of get it all in just the simple parts in kind of one spot. And then you can go out and do more stuff too. So, um, and there's, there's, there's lots of room for other like additions to this material. So, you know, um, yeah, that's kind of, so it is available freely on the internet archive. You're right. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll certainly have a, a link in the show notes. Uh, for those yeah. of you who are interested, I highly recommend you get the book. Um, and... Uh, As always, I should do a little house cleaning. There will be an audio version of this out in a couple of days. Uh, you know, some people ask me, well, what's the point and why do you do this? Well, the truth is less and less people want to listen on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, some of you just want to stream your audio on your itunes or whatever podcast provider you have i'm one of those people that's how i like i don't like to sit there on youtube others are even more a purist and just want to download an mp3 to your device so i try to make these shows available in all forms uh and in different channels and so forth as as the times go so that's uh yeah that's just me explaining things but um very good why don't why don't we start with really the uh, the cornerstone of your book, Adam? Sure. And that is Terrence McKenna and his stoned ape theory. That's Tell great. us about it.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I did kind of actually dedicate this to Terrence McKenna. Um, so, because uh, really it, it all starts with Terrence, like you said. Um, so I, I kind of build off of Terrence McKenna's stoned ape theory, um, which many – People listening are probably familiar with already, but you know, for the sake of uh, just conversation, I guess I can go through some of the points. So, Terence supposed that you know early human beings evolved in the Sahara in Africa, and um, part of that evolutionary process was these people learning how to herd cattle, and then eventually, after herding cattle, uh, they came about discovering these mushrooms, these hallucinogenic mushrooms, and that Terence thought that this might have been an agent uh, for human evolution. And so I kind of take that point and I think about, okay, well, the Bible tells us about ancient Egypt and then there's some stuff with ancient Sumeria mixed in there. Uh, So, you know, is it possible that Terence's stoned ape theory kind of went uh, further uh, into the future and it didn't just stop all of a sudden with agriculture? Is it possible that maybe it's in the Bible somewhere? Um, and that's kind of I take that assumption, and it seems to be the case to me that uh yeah, you can find this kind of mushroom religion um in the Bible, actually in a couple different places. Um and yeah, Terence's I kind of use Terence's thinking as kind of roadmap for looking at the Bible and thinking about uh these early cultures, I guess. Um, that they were kind of nomadic, Uh, they relied on cattle. Uh, and it's, it's really quite similar to all the things that Terence talks about in his kind of imagining of, um, of what this kind of Saharan environment would have been like for these, for these early uh, primates, I guess, or sorry, early hominids, you could say. Yeah
1: awesome yeah and I, uh, we had last night our uh, finding hermes uh, virtual Alexandria private meeting and uh, we had a leading researcher on psychedelics uh, for a group and i asked him what well, do you think terence mckenna's ideas on what you're talking about still stand the test of time he says yeah and i was like well that's amazing after a generation yeah it still holds up so good job right. on Terrence.
2: yeah no kidding yeah it's it's interesting he's yeah he's still kind of you know he's hanging in there, and you know there's people been talking about the throwing arm that caused evolution, and there's you know there's a lot of different ideas, but Terence's theory still I think it's it really has something to it, uh especially because you find you know these mushrooms are present in all these different religions in South America and everywhere it's it's kind of it makes sense as a historical narrative to me that this is this was a evolutionary agent and it played a role in these early religions um, and that this is probably related in some way to the kind of cognitive and civilizational uh, development of these early cultures. And I think that you see that in the Bible, actually, in a pretty clear way. That's that's really interesting. It's a little bit complicated. We might not be able to get to all the pieces, as you guys know, but, um, you know, so we'll get to as much as we can, but the book will be kind of the best source to get all of the information
1: oh indeed i mean these yeah. interviews are they're an appetizer they're in a, a taste you're not going to get the whole thing with right right one podcast even if it's two or three hours it is what it is but uh, yep that's true that's the that's the whole point but well, before we get to the evidence and yeah there's a quote you use by terrence mckenna we don't need the truth we just need something that is true enough i love that yes and, uh, yes yep <laughs> and with terrence yep. is i mean he was able to Basically, it's not like he looked at one section. He saw society and culture around the world. Like you would see Peruvian tribes and their habits, religious habits and so forth. And he saw that it, there was a, a, a universal aspect to ancient humans, how they behave. So it was yeah. very logical to see that what people did in the Middle East was what they did in other parts of the humans are humans
2: yeah yeah definitely yeah he kind of took that universalist approach yeah yeah it definitely makes sense too i think um yeah humans are humans yeah make that this well put yeah
1: or humans are just monkeys yeah
2: (laughs) maybe maybe that too i don't know yeah yeah
1: (laughs) and um you before you even again before you even get into the theogens uh you talk about two important symbols that really are the foundation of human consciousness and uh one is the serpent and one is the sacred feminine which appears obviously in the uh, in the old testament in the form of eve uh why do you bring these two symbols up early in your book adam
2: yeah um that's a good question um <laughs> so yeah and is, is big in terence's worldview too um especially concerning this kind of part of the prehistory and all that stuff um it, the sacred feminine is kind of obvious i mean it, it it's um it it's well, maybe not obvious but um the reason I, sorry i have to think about how i'm gonna phrase this um it, Uh, these primitive cultures were a little bit were a lot different than how we think today i think um just by looking at this literature you can kind of see that there's a lot of different sentiments about the way that they look at the world um and one of them is the reverence for the sacred feminine uh they you know some of the first forms of like primitive human culture are like the formation of these like goddess figurines right and um So you have, and then you have the, the symbolism too, with, you know, even the garden of Eden, obviously she's kind of demonized in the kind of contemporary narrative about how, you know, uh, and I kind of go through some of the analysis on why I think that was Um, basically, I thought it was. Propaganda essentially is it was given out to the masses, you know these women and these serpents are just like are evil, you know stay away from them. Um, so this would have been maybe the the Garden of Eden and the serpent symbolism was probably related to this psychedelic drug use. Um, and especially in the Garden of Eden story, what you have is a kind of like primitive propaganda where you have priests who are saying, you know, these women, these serpents, they're evil, don't do it, have anything to do with them. This is for the priests. This is for the people who know about things. And this is for the government officials. So that's, that's kind of how I frame the Garden of Eden story. Uh, there's other ways to look at it, of course, too. But that's, I think that's one interpretation that kind of works for it. Yeah, the um, shroom of yeah. knowledge, yeah, well, essentially, yes, yeah, I mean it, yes, yeah, it, yeah, because I kind of follow Terence on this, you know if if these like if these mushrooms kind of helped grow the brain size of these early hominids, then this really just makes sense that this would actually help people think, you know, this would help people think about things even in terms of government and uh yeah, it's you know it's kind of goes counter to what we talk about today. A lot of people say that these drugs are, you know, somehow, somehow cognitively like deteriorative. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll rot your brain or whatever. Um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to me to be the case because of how present this stuff is in these old cultures and uh, th- that it was used by the governing officials, especially, and they were doing some pretty amazing things. Um, so I don't necessarily see it that way. But.
1: but I think what we can agree on is at some point these uh, drugs, uh, psychedelics, this uh, feminine serpent worship, very primordial, very lunar, very magical. Uh, I guess uh, Jordan Peterson would say chaotic. Sure. Uh, It it wasn't a good basis to build a reasonable, proper, logical civilization. So uh, basically the use had to be... uh, narrowed down to the priesthood or the king the divine feminine had to be taken away and not even then i mean as think as uh they said whenever the cult of yahweh took over it wasn't just a shira who got thrown out but all the other temples of yahweh that were outside of jerusalem got leveled it was like we are going to have one centralized uh government and this was normal with other civilizations right
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You get that that kind of authoritarian like legalism that kind of takes over eventually. But um, I think I think you when these things start out, when these religions and these movements start out, it seems to me that they start out pretty psychedelic and pretty like, you know, nature, mystical and all that stuff. But eventually you kind of get these legalists who maybe don't take the psychedelic drugs and they don't or if they do, they don't want anybody else taking it because they see it as a source of power. And so that's about keeping power to yourself. Um, and so what ends up happening is, you know, you get these authoritarian regimes, I guess, um, that start popping up. But um, yeah, so it, yeah, there's these kind of two different kind of governing models that, that kind of spring up. You have this kind of agrarian governing model. It's all about administration and, and rule and telling other people what to do. And then you have this kind of decentralized nomadic kind of mushroom religion um that seems to be kind of pretty involved in these early israelite stories uh in the bible so
1: what do you think of the uh, what do you think you deal with it in your book uh the myth or the story of cain and abel
2: yes cain and abel yeah that's another one i I like that you're touching on these these older myths or they're interesting and it's hard to parse out exactly might mean but i give a few interpretations in, in the book um Ah, uh, Cain and Abel, I think, is a form, another form of propaganda, in a sense. Uh, so uh, the story of Cain and Abel is that um, is, it's Cain that uh, basically uh, is an agriculturalist, and uh, and Abel is this kind of nomadic uh, pastoralist. I think I'm getting that right. You you can correct me if I'm wrong, Miguel.
1: Yeah, um, no, I'm yeah. Cain sure right. was yeah. the uh, farmer. Some yes. say vegetarian. <laughs>
2: yes right yeah he was the vegan no no he, he well he he was the agriculturalist right so and then and then Abel was this kind of nomadic pastoralist um and Abel offers a meat offering to Yahweh whereas Cain offers an agricultural offering to Yahweh and Yahweh basically says you know I don't want your agricultural produce I like Abel's offering of the meat um and so Cain becomes like uh, he, he's refused by Yahweh, so then Cain gets jealous of Abel and he kills him, and then uh, and then he becomes judged and banished. And uh, so this seems to me to be some kind of propaganda uh, leveled against agri- the agricultural way of life in, in the Old Testament. It's pretty similar, actually, what Terence McKenna talks about, how the uh, agriculturalists would kind of fall out of this kind of nature mysticism. Um, mm-hmm. and they, and they'd stop, you know, using mushrooms. It's participating in this kind of old archaic religion. Um, so Yahweh in this way is kind of this, this, this God of this pastoralist mushroom religion. And he, he likes Abel's offering because he's a nomadic pastoralist, probably eating mushrooms. And he doesn't like the offering from the agriculturalist because he's just this serf. And yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a form of propaganda to keep the Israelites in, in a nomadic state of existence, where they're living off their cattle and they're flexible and they're not—they're um, not beholden to any of these kings in Egypt or in Canaan. So that's the way that I uh, that I interpret the the general myth of Cain and Abel. But yeah, know, with
1: Cain, Cainites its a slam, a, slam, a polemic against the Cainites. Uh Obviously, what's the other? Sure. Yeah. I always love the interpretation that Cain was the first vampire. Cain you know,
2: was the first the mark, vampire? I haven't heard and that. And the
1: mark of Cain was to protect I don't know.
2: Oh, it's I don't a know. Story.
1: Maybe it's a story I was going to write. I don't know.
2: Oh, maybe. <laughs> I, oh, okay. Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> I don't oh. know if you guys ever saw um, Dracula 2000, where uh, Dracula, the first vampire, is actually Judas Iscariot. Because remember, he killed himself at night. The silver. Uh, huh. Uh, yeah. Good flick. Uh forget who plays uh, Dracula. Who's the guy from 300 uh King Leonidas? What's the name of the actor? Uh, Gerard uh, Butler. Yeah, Gerard Butler <laughs> plays Dracula in Dracula 2000. So, uh, Oh, okay. We all need a source story, even the Beyond the Bible that's just uh that's yep. just it is. So yep. Well, awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's good to see these ancient myths because again, we see the foundation of the consciousness of these old people as well as um as well as uh, why they did things, or underneath the hood, uh, geopolitics, cultural movements, and so forth. So, well, why don't? Um, where do you want to start, Adam? Would you want to start out where in the Bible we start seeing in Theogens? you, or do you want to talk about how the how these cultures came about, the similarities of these cultures? Because um, you do a great job showing how the, the Phoenicians were so similar to the Canaanites and the Hebrews and they, they basically had much of the same rituals and yep. they were all sort of ecstatic, shamanistic in the Bronze Age and before. So let me yes. know what's a better starting point for you.
2: Well, I think a good a good starting point is just to maybe explain the whole the, the very basic part of the whole Israelite story. And how it starts with Abraham, just to give people this—you mm-hmm. know—if they don't know the Bible or whatever, then they can kind of know how this kind of just starts out. Um, so basically, I kind of do that mythological interpretation in the beginning, but then once you get to Abraham, you kind of have some more historical basis for looking at this to so say, okay, this might be something that actually happened. It might not, might not just be a story. Um, the, the other things might be real. I don't know, but uh, the the Abraham stories. It's about people going to certain places, and so it becomes more historical. So uh, Abraham in particular, he starts out in Sumeria. He goes up into Anatolia in Turkey, and then he goes down through Canaan into Egypt. And so he kind of does this tour of the Fertile Crescent, really, uh, in the very beginning of the story. Um, and so he, he and then this is where he gets the promise from God that uh, the Israelites are going to inherit the land of Canaan. Uh, that's that's. Kind of where this ha- where this happens and where this mythology comes from for the Israelites, that uh, God promised them that they would inhabit this this country, that this that they would live here. Um, so that starts with Abraham, and then he has a couple kids, and then uh, they have some kids, and it keeps going on, and you end up with this big tribal group that uh, that is descended from a person named Jacob or Israel, uh, and and uh, it's. Uh, basically these are the Israelites they descend from jacob's kids so it's it's pretty simple and the bible gives you actually a pretty clear and simple record of how it started with abraham and kind of went on so um and it shows too what's interesting is it kind of shows how they ended up in egypt um and this is through this whole drama of the story of joseph who was supposedly um, a seer in ancient egypt um
1: but before we get to Joseph, sure. uh, there's yeah. a section in your book, I don't know why this makes me laugh, uh, where you talk about the mushroom cult might have been the circumcision, because once you circumcise <laughs> yeah. them, their penises look like mushrooms.
2: Yes, I, I think it might have been the case. I don't know, but... Um, you don't find this
1: funny, Vance?
2: Vance I was
3: looking at the chat. I, I missed it. I'm sorry. Obviously. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. So the circumcision ritual—it it may be just like tattooing, you know, where you have symbolic scarification. Uh, the circumcision ritual may have been a way of signifying that you're a part of a mushroom cult in the in the Middle East. Uh, it's really simple kind of mythology and in the bible it says you know you only perform circumcision on men this isn't something that you do to women so nice. um so yes it's a phallic ritual um uh, so it, i don't i i see it that way that it might have been connected to this because the egyptians also do circumcision um yeah so I think it was it,
1: their upper class only though i
2: think perhaps yeah perhaps oh, yeah. you're right about that i haven't looked too much into the egyptian side of it but is that
3: why yeah. the capstones are missing from the pyramid <laughs>
2: Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't I yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know much about the whole ancient Egyptian pyramid thing. Honestly, I that that whole Egyptian pyramid thing just freaks me out. It's it's so interesting. Uh, yeah, just I, how the hell did those get there? I have no idea. So yeah. I'm sorry, I don't have answers for that. For people who want to read my book. I have no answers for the pyramids. Sorry. But let's go
1: back to mushroom penises.
2: <laughs> yeah, I could. Yeah, let's go back to mushroom penises. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Um,
1: yeah. So that, that's basically the first hint that there might be a mushroom cult that we can see.
2: I, I think so. Yeah, I think with Abraham, you kind of get that. J- just that. Brief glimpse. And Abraham also has some visionary experiences where he like he lays down and he has this dream and it like mm. it freaks him out apparently. Um and so he like sacrifices some animals and uh it's, it's yeah, it's just this weird story. Um and then with uh I think it's with Jacob, uh he he does this thing where he puts poplars um uh, in this in this body of water where his sheep are eating. So uh apparently this was like to make the sheep breed more, uh, and it was to expand the flock and to kind of grow his wealth, uh, and that was also a big part of these primitive cultures. Is this is how you got rich? Is by having a big flock of sheep, and you could trade those and do whatever you want with them, and you could move them around it um, was a way to, to get rich. Horny sheep.
1: It was good to have horny
2: sheep. Yeah, and horny sheep at that. Yes, <laughs> yes, because then they'd have more sheep, you know. So, um, all right. Yeah, well, so that's kind of. Now you're talking yeah, about Joseph, kind of, right?
1: yeah what's that okay yeah go on you were talking about joseph oh. or wherever where yes
2: to go. yeah sure yeah we yeah so i don't know so um essentially yeah so you have abraham you have jacob and they kind of have some kind of vague drug symbolism and stuff but it gets it starts to get more detailed as you go on it gets more detailed with moses but uh you want to kind of explain how how Moses gets to e- Egypt in the first place. How do these kind of Canaanite groups you know, get to Egypt? Mm-hmm. And that happens basically through Joseph. Um, so Joseph's basically sold into slavery by his brothers. They're all kind of jealous of him. Um, and what ends up happening is he he's bought as a slave in this kind of royal Egyptian family. And he's kind of trained to be this administrator, uh, essentially. And he ends up uh, uh, kind of seducing, I guess, uh, the wife of his master unwillingly is what it is the way that the Bible says it, but she was just became obsessed with him and uh, became very attracted to him. And she ends up accusing him of adultery essentially. And so Joseph gets sentenced to prison. He spends a long time there and uh, he builds this reputation of interpreting dreams, which is kind of interesting uh, that he can like predict the future by interpreting dreams. All These prisoners have these dreams and they ask him what it means uh, eventually, the pharaoh hears about the the pharaoh of Egypt hears about this and says, "Oh, bring this guy into my court. I have this dream that nobody can explain." And so Joseph gets summoned into the pharaoh's court, and this is where you have that story of um, uh, what is it? The the it's there, there's like uh, seven cows grazing by the Nile. They're all healthy, um, and then seven sickly cows come up and devour these healthy cows. And the same thing happens with grain. You have these health seven stalks of healthy grain. And uh, these seven stalks of unhealthy grain uh, uh, kind of take over the the healthy grains and Joseph interprets this to mean that you have seven years of good crops and then you have seven years of crop failure. So what you have to do is build these grain silos, and that's going to save the Egyptian empire essentially so this this interpretation works and it even if it wasn't true you could say well it's a kind of smart idea just to build grain silos anyways because you're probably going to have crop failures eventually mm-hmm. and so he builds these crop silo or these uh, these grain silos and um and he becomes this administrative official in Egypt essentially and he, so and then he has this whole kind of dramatic reunification with his family members which is really kind of touching story i think it's really interesting story um But then they end up settling in in the Nile Valley, essentially. So that's how these Israelites get into Egypt. And then from there, they have kids, and they build this big tribe, and eventually they get enslaved. And that's kind of when Moses comes along. So that kind of sets up the whole circumstance for how Moses gets into the the Israelite story in Egypt. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And uh, just for me to set the backdrop, uh, again, our meeting last night, I was talking about – a cherry s's book or dm murdoch wrote a book about moses and she does an excellent job of paralleling moses and yahweh to the cult of dionysus and bacchus in other words she proves that this was uh the hebrews were initially a, an ecstatic uh group that believe in intoxicating visions and all that and you know when you read the bible it's like No, there's nothing. But like (laughs) you, Adam, once you look underneath and you look at the symbolism and the hints, like words like milk, and you you realize uh, in the rituals, how you tie them into other godmen, ecstatic, uh, mystic godmen, you're like, whoa, these guys were party animals. Yes. (laughs) They were communing with the stars and all that. So, yeah. yeah, tell us about the most obvious uh, Moses as a uh, shaman evidence that we
2: have, yeah, sure. Uh, we, I suppose, uh, we could get some pictures maybe from Vance on this. Uh, do, do you have those pictures, Vance? I don't know.
3: No, I, I don't have them set up. Yeah, Miguel does. Oh, Miguel right. does. Okay, I gotcha.
1: Let me find them here, da, da, da. then we'll do a screen share. Sure,
3: okay. I'm gonna open a up slide. my phone so I can
2: see too. Doo, doo, doo. All right. Who put the
1: brew in Hebrew,
2: huh? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's a good question. (laughs) That's great.
1: Yes. It's like my friend, uh, what they put is, uh, his Twitter, uh, his Twitter gender, Hebrew. He's Jewish, but, uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Share screen. Screen share with two monitors.
2: That was a good point you were bringing up, though, Miguel, about how it's it's so often interpreted that, you know, th- these religions are super authoritarian, you know. And, you know, if you take a second look at it, you, you can kind of see that it might be a little bit more kind of groovy than, <laughs> than you might have thought yeah. in the first place, you know.
1: How is it? Do you see it?
2: It's flickering on oh, my screen. Flicker.
1: All right. Okay, I see. You. All right. Do you see it now? Has it stopped uh, flickering? I,
3: I see. Yeah, there's no flickers, and I see uh, your backdrop basically. In search of incredible,
2: This is what Are we're doing. All
1: right. Yes. Okay, that's better.
2: All right. um, um, yeah. So I, I guess we can talk about the um, one thing I was thinking. I wanted to talk about actually for Vance because you have this moon nickname that I, I don't know what the origin story of that is. So maybe I need to hear that first. I don't know. Um, they have Moondog, uh, among other people probably in history, was a street musician
3: in New York City in the 50s and 60s. And I used to watch the Alan Burke Show all the time. And I saw him on uh, the Alan Burke Show this is a new york area okay. and um uh, and and that that that's that's where the the most famous moon dog comes from but whenever anybody asked me well who are you really or what's your real name or whatever the <laughs> the word moon dog would pop in my head so one day i said you know what that's my name really
2: my my real name <laughs> <Right> <laughs> was my on. given name so there you go that's <laughs> great well there's there's some interesting like lunar symbolism in in Moses' story that I think you might you might be into. I don't know, we'll see oh, let's, let's see yeah yeah
3: there's so, also a connection with um with uh, the moon and uh the divine feminine, and moon dogs are kind of these interesting optical phenomena that happen around the moon under certain conditions, so it's kind of like you're orbiting the
2: divine feminine, which is
3: means sure. something to me personally
2: sure there you go yeah um yeah so i guess we'll kind of fast forward through moses story and get basically to the exodus which is the big kind of like charlton heston moment where the sure. where he parts well, the Red we, sea. Well, we
1: should have, even before that we should also talk uh, the burning bush that is an oh, obvious sure. psychedelic ritual yeah. <laughs> it wasn't you know the smoke and all that and then uh, obviously the snakes and is an Aaron with the snakes i mean we have this whole magic psychedelic vibe that's true the whole
2: story.
3: Yes. yeah and then yahweh stoned him right
2: yeah <laughs> that's it. the tablets stoned tablets <laughs> right <laughs> the stone tablets <laughs> sorry theory. yes i love it okay i love it um yes you're right miguel see yeah i'm skipping ahead this th- yeah that's a good point the whole burning bush thing is kind of interesting um so Yeah, so Moses basically he kind of he gets he's born and raised in this kind of Egyptian royalty. You know, he sent down the basket. uh, Sorry, he sent down a river in a basket, um, just like uh, Sargon the Great in ancient Sumer. Um, So some people say that this story's fake because it's copying Sargon the Great. Well, it might just be, be a kind of cultural appropriation to just quickly explain his adoption by this Egyptian government. Uh, hard to say exactly what it is, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's false, um, in my opinion, at least. Um, so you have Moses kind of growing up in this royal Egyptian household, and he's kind of like some kind of administrator overseeing the Israelites, who are kind of working as slave laborers. Um, and essentially, what ends up happening, he kind of re- he realizes his kinship to the Israelites, and he. Um, he he basically he defends some some slave worker is is one version of the story and um, he ends up killing an Egyptian citizen and he has to leave uh, he's he has to he's exiled basically because you know that's a it's like a capital offense you know he'd be killed for doing something like that so it's you know this pretty intense political drama going on in Moses's life um, but where he goes is kind of interesting he goes uh, to this place called Midian um, and Midian is supposedly uh, another descendant of abraham so a close tribal relationship to the israelites basically he goes to this territory that these these kind of uh, familial uh, this familial tribe lives and he learns from this priest named jethro um he's he's kind of brought in to his family and he marries the this uh, this priest's daughter um and this is where he has his experience with the burning bush um Interesting that it's uh, that he has this experience um, in this place Midian, uh, because you have other mushroom symbolism that happens later at the same place. Um, But it's also interesting because he's with this kind of nomadic group, um, and this guy's apparently a priest. Uh, His father-in-law is apparently a priest, and then he has this experience with the burning bush, and it's this totally hallucinogenic trip, is what it is, Um, and what's interesting is right before he has the, the burning bush uh, kind of hallucination um, the Bible kind of sets up some interesting circumstances. Um, You have basically Moses tending uh, the flock of his father-in-law. This is what it says right in the Bible, right before he has this trip. So some people say that, you know, well, the bush was an acacia bush and it was on fire and it was DMT and he was getting high off the DMT fumes. i I don't necessarily think that would work, Uh, just logistically speaking. You know, DMT, if you're going to smoke it, you got to get a lot of it. (laughs) So, you know, uh, I don't see the open air situation working so well there. But he's tending a a flock of sheep in this kind of uh, nomadic territory. Uh, Could have been that there were mushrooms growing there, and he just ate the mushrooms um, as a part of this old tradition that goes back to the Sahara. Um, so that's, that's what I think probably happened. If, if this story is historical, um, and then basically too, you have the burning bush, it's the bush is on fire, but it's actually not burning is the way that the Bible puts it. So it's, he's hallucinating already when he's looking at this bush, he's already, he's already tripping. He's already taking these, he's already taken these drugs. Um, so that's the way that I, I frame the whole uh, burning bush experience, but then you get this kind of, uh, revolutionary message from Yahweh, where he says, I'm going to use you as the instrument to free the Israelites. And, uh, you know, it's really this amazing kind of spiritually edifying message, uh, you know, to bring the Israelites into a state of independence and self-governance and to free them from slavery. It's a, uh, you know, so kind of wonderful story, I think, in that way. Um, But in the fact that it might be facilitated by these hallucinogens is another interesting layer of this that, you know, uh you know it's it just adds like there's so many connotations here it's uh just really interesting but um yeah and then so that he also there's there's so many hallucinogenic things in that you can re- read through the book to kind of get that but
1: he yeah b- for the audience uh, adam goes uh blow by blow with the passages and what to look for you know words like milk and other you know they were probably doing something mind-altering substances uh i guess uh the question would be people might be listening or watching and they might be going what are these are these guys are these guys high they're in the desert what are mushrooms in there can you explain why that area that whole area was p- perfect for mushrooms or other uh, yes psychedelics
2: yes yes um so this the the this area um well, the Bible describes this, this region, the Midianite territory. Later in the scriptures, it it tells us that this was a wilderness and that it wasn't a desert. Uh, there's some mistranslation that happens uh, with, with the New International Version and a couple other versions that say it's a desert. Uh, it doesn't translate the underlying Hebrew correctly. Uh, the underlying Hebrew word is a Midbar. I might be mispronouncing that. I've only read it. But, um. What it means is an unoccupied place where where cattle go to graze. That's what mm-hmm. the underlying Hebrew word means. So this would have been a grassland at, at the very least, somewhere where you can bring your your sheep and your cows to eat grass. You know, so uh, that's 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 how this area is described in the Bible. Uh, it, it wasn't a desert at that time, at least, or. Uh, so that's that's the way that the Bible tells us that it was. And, you know, uh, John Anthony West and a few other people have gone into some details about the Sphinx being uh, weathered by water erosion. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this could have happened pretty recently, uh, as early as, I mean, 6,000 years ago. Um, it could be longer than, back than that. I mean, it, I'm not saying anything definitive about when the Sphinx was created, but uh, the Sahara in the Middle East was much more fertile back back in those days so
1: wow very cool yeah. and uh, i'm gonna have one more question then i'm gonna throw it to vance and the audience because i am seeing some questions there but obviously the obvious one besides the burning bush uh the visions uh what was growing then of course is mana from heaven that should yes. be one anybody could even though it's been such a mystery i think in this context you could knock this one out of the park
2: yeah yeah it's it's kind of interesting uh thanks man um I, so there's a lot of interpretations out there and i'm i've followed danny Nemo for a little bit now Um oh yeah
1: so, i love his work yeah yeah, yeah
2: same yeah
1: um been to guess several times yeah
2: yeah yeah um so i know that he has a, a different idea of this and you know so there's a couple different ideas but uh to me i think that the man was probably psilocybin mushrooms um mm-hmm. And another thing, maybe worth noting before we get too much further into this, is you know it, it's kind of important to recognize that uh, European scholars who come back and look at this tradition uh, are going to miss the tropical mushroom symbolism because you know going back to the you know 1600s, 1700s when people were writing uh, and translating the Bible, uh, they didn't have much of a knowledge about these tropical mushrooms. It would have been pretty minimal uh so they in some cases they would miss things and they'd mistranslate things here and there so it that's one reason why this might get lost just so that some people know you know it's like it's kind of hard to believe that that the people would miss this symbolism and for me at least once i started reading through this it, it was like almost hard to believe that this had been missed for for so long but um but i mean there's lots of people who have also made these same assertions too that you know manna was probably a psilocybin mushroom this has been a kind of popular theory going back for a while um i i discovered it quite a while from i can't even remember where it was some cool 1990s web page from back in the day you know i don't know so um but uh yeah so th- so other people have supposed this as well but um i guess uh, we could show the the hoarfrost image to kind of give a, a sense of kind of just right. what this stuff would have looked like
1: I'm gonna do my share screen sure yeah yeah okay all right where which do you remember which number it was
2: it was number fifteen
1: Yep. fifteen let me whip out 15
2: Sinai evidence everybody see this sorry uh, oh maybe it's oh I don't know it's 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 so we're not we're not seeing it
1: as a full right.
2: picture, Miguel.
1: I'm sorry? That's oh you don't yeah.
3: Well uh, yeah, It's not oh, uh, there okay. it is. Here we go. Yeah, it's better. There, there it
2: is. So this okay, is horrendous.
1: Cool.
2: Yes. So uh in, in the old testament, um in, in Exodus, after the Israelites cross over from the Red Sea, you you have Moses wandering around again in this Midian territory. Uh where his father in law lived. And they start describing this magic food that comes out of a cloud. Um, and uh, they don't really know where it comes from. They're kind of not sure what it is. And they say that it grows on the ground like hoarfrost. And one of the really interesting things about psilocybin mushrooms is, I mean, it really does look like frost. You can see on the top, there are some images of frost there. And then on the bottom, you have those images of uh, the psilocybin mushrooms uh, in their mycelial networks. Which really look very similar to this kind of frost that is that is uh, used in the in the Old Bible there. So, in the o- King James version, which which I'm which which I used uh, for my translations. Mm. Um, so it's really very similar looking material. Uh, I, I think it's kind of ver- very clear uh, to me that this that this it's very plausible they're talking about uh, mushrooms because again they, they're in a tropical climate. So if it does snow much there, it's not very often. Uh, It it may be in the mountains somewhere, but uh, in a tropical climate and they see frost, uh, you kind of have to wonder if they're talking about mushrooms. Uh, And it makes sense to me. Uh, The next image there is uh, the coriander uh, seeds, number 16. And this is another thing that's referenced in the Bible. It says um that it appeared on the ground small like coriander seed that the manna appeared on the ground uh, small and you can see the the early stage uh, of growth for these mushrooms is i mean it looks like coriander seed that's that's exactly what it looks like so it's very very reasonable to assume that the Israelites are describing um, mushrooms here and another reason to think this too is that uh, the Israelites had left their agricultural lifestyle in Egypt. You know, they had been slaves working this agricultural empire, and then they basically take all the all these cattle with them when they leave because they're going to become nomads. and They're going to learn how to live um, like uh, like Moses's father-in-law, and so they have cattle pooping everywhere, and poop is is the nutrient substrate for these mushrooms, uh, p- particularly cow poop, um, and so that. You have these mushrooms or whatever, what appears to be hoarfrost and coriander seed and all of these symbols that seem to be telling us that, you know, they, they had encountered these mushrooms. And then Moses goes on to say, okay, now you have to eat this stuff every single day. <laughs> this is, this is where it just gets wild. It gets crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's, I don't know. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. Um, so. Yeah, and uh, he also tells them that, you know, you have to preserve this on Saturday, or, well, there's, it's not the same day system that we have today, but essentially before the Sabbath, you have to preserve an extra batch, because mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And the way that he tells them to preserve it is either by baking it, um, or by um, by boiling it in water. And that's, I mean, that's a good way to preserve mushrooms, you dry them out by baking them, or uh, you put it in a tea, so that's moses tells them basically to preserve these mushrooms in a way that works you know so
1: very cool yeah yeah Yeah, that's good argument uh yeah for those who are who have joined a little (laughs) later adam drissi discussing his book eden and entheogens and uh yeah just wanted to say a quick time out uh I always forget to do public service announcements beyond support the show, support the, our guests, support alternative media, because the old ways ain't working and things ain't getting better. Black old sun, won't you come? Or it's <laughs> enveloping the world. But I also wanted to say I am, uh, as some of you may know, I am offering my voice for uh, voiceover projects. So if you have an audiobook, a commercial, a video game, uh, anything else i am here i've got the home studio i've already done a couple of audiobooks i've done some work for a uh, alternative christian church done a poetry book and done even a couple of commercials so putting it out there if you need uh my voice which people tell me i have a good voice except for my family and <laughs> wife, for some reason don't agree with the public but what what do they know? They just know me. Anyway, um, but anyway, Vance, do you have a question or is there any questions from the audience?
3: Well, yeah. Um, I, nowadays, um, I don't know um, about um, Jewish law, but are mushrooms kosher now?
2: Um, <clears throat> that's And that's leading up to something. That's actually a good question. I don't really know about, you know, all the different sectarian laws and rules that exist now, um, I, yeah, I couldn't answer yeah.
3: it. Yeah, because in the days of Moses, um, that was before all those laws that came later in the Bible, right? And so the, 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 there were the they Noah,
1: have, Noah, 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 I died laws or something, but the, yeah, then came the
3: yeah, the- so. So I'm wondering if uh, uh, obviously in the later days of Judaism uh, they didn't um, have as much emphasis on the um, entheogens as 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 they as you're saying that they did in the Mosaic times right because it seemed to have faded out and maybe that came with the laws of the Torah I'm uh, that's when, when they started restricting what they could eat so forth
2: could be yeah there there are some groups that do prohibit uh, mushroom use too. Um, the Mandaians come to mind. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so um, you know, it's, in some cases, a, a mushroom prohibition actually I think might be an indication that you know the priests were taking it and they were telling yeah, everybody else not right. to. And, uh, I, I mean, I, you, you know,
1: something illegal unless it's already been done by somebody, and like you said, need to bring yeah. it to you.
2: That's, that's right, right. They're eating um, sandwiches
3: back there in the back room too right exactly, behind
2: you. exactly
1: <laughs>
3: yep
2: <laughs> or the, the cia and cocaine i don't know yeah <laughs> I'm just, I'm just always way, right <laughs> yeah i don't know so that's that's one way to look at it but you know um, and yeah, um, i'm not totally sure okay uh fair enough um uh-huh. another thing though
3: more to the deeper point um do you think that the entheogens are basically, maybe this is obvious, but opening a path to other realms and other beings that we can't, in our um, materialistic mode, uh, can't speak to? In other words, like Moses talking to Yahweh, right? And yeah. so maybe that's what the whole function of these substances is, entheogens, right? To In order to open the channel, open the path. Is that the model you think that we're dealing with here?
2: I. Th- yeah i think so i mean uh it's something yeah it's something to do with something like that for sure where you know there's some access to some kind of information outside of ourselves i think um in in some capacity i i don't necessarily i don't have a good explanation for it i mean frankly um and uh you know, you have James's theory of the bicameral mind. Some people might be familiar with this. It's a little bit more fringe, uh, but, uh, that, you know, you had this kind of, uh, early people had kind of, their minds were kind of fractured into two separate kind of brains. I guess you had the God brain on one side and you had the kind of body brain on the other side. And the God brain would tell the body brain what to do all the time. Um, so he kind of, he abstracts the, this concept of, um, of gods into this kind of two-sided mind, I guess. Um, you know, so it might just be giving us access to something inside of ourselves that maybe we don't have access to. Um, it might be some kind of ability to look at the world more clearly. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's open for, for debate, but it seems to be that there's some, uh, transcendental experience going on, uh, with these old figures and you know if you take it yourself i think in some cases most people i mean most people come back saying that there's something going on with this stuff i mean from what i've heard at least so
3: yeah yeah um and uh one of the um uh viewers um og tab and we haven't had a lot of questions either miguel have you seen many questions go by i see one i saw one
1: Somebody was and, talk asking about Atlantis in Samaria, but I want that's
3: to do it, that, that
2: at the end, of,
1: the end of the show because Adam's research on Atlantis is pretty, I
2: thought. Oh, so fun. I
1: want to go a little bit more through the Babel and ancient people before yes. <laughs> great. go full okay. on Atlantis.
2: <laughs> yes. yeah. We what I get there. So. there. Okay. All
3: right. Well, that's all I got. I carry on.
1: Carry on my wayward done, as can yeah. say. Uh, what? So we got Moses, and again, you show a lot of evidence for the viewer. We will only get to maybe five percent of the evidence. Uh, it's uh, quite a bit, but I'm in, and I'm interested in David and Solomon, and specifically David, because again, you read the Bible, how you're taught in church and Sunday school. But when you look at David just and Saul from you, you take off your lenses and the program, you go, man, these guys were some Dionysian motherfuckers. Because I mean, <laughs> yeah, David will yeah. start singing and he will the Spirit of the Lord and he'll go on a trance and start take off his clothes in front of everybody and just and, and, <laughs> yeah. they're like, they're like you know, the, when a shaman has a vision, you just let him do it. And, Naked yeah. shamans happen a lot in Northern Africa and other places. They walk around and you just kind of back off. Uh, they're Muslim ones, they're pagan ones. But David is a, a huge Dionysian follower, and so is Saul. So tell us about evidence. about Obviously, they were in altered states of mind, and that was part of the vibe of those days in Israel. But what are some uh, clues that they might have been taking psychedelics or mushrooms at them?
2: Yeah, there's there's a few things. It's, it's pardon
1: my bit... part my language I got carried away cuz
2: No, no, it's, it's yeah. It's... Oh, so,
1: my god, David is like a rock star. He's like uh, Robert Plant or something. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I see it totally. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, so there's a couple different things. Um that that story you are just telling about David uh is when he's doing Basically, they're transporting the Ark of the Covenant between these two locations, and uh, there's this big procession, and there's they're passing out wine and food, and there's all of this um, is this kind of celebration going on around the Ark of the Covenant. And David gets kind of into this trance state, and he dances, and he like kind of strips himself naked, and his wife criticizes him, and he's like, "Why are you dancing like this in front of everybody?" <laughs> it's like, she's like criticizing him for being a party animal, basically. Um, but there's an interesting connection here to the manna uh in that's in, that I don't think always gets picked up on um so in those early days with Moses you had a prescription that Aaron and all the high priests were supposed to keep a, a jar of manna next to the ark of the covenant all oh. the time mm. so uh because of that you, you might you might ask yourself well you know what wh- if this was a ceremony with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, they might have been carrying this jar of manna with them, this jar of these mushrooms. And David might have just took a few out and ate some and, you know, Whoa. started. <laughs> started <Hooray. this. laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. So it's an interesting symbolism. If the manna is some kind of psychedelic drug, it would have been there with the Ark of the Covenant, um, according to the, the the laws of the old Israelites. That, that was um, how it, how it was done. Um, Saul is interesting. Um, again, it's, uh, it's a lot of it's kind of insinuation, because after you kind of learn that the Israelites might have been taking this stuff, it, it kind of sets the foundation. And you can kind of look forward at, at David and Saul as kind of you know, being a part of this kind of nomadic group and continuing this tradition. One of the things was um, um, this, uh, this moment with, uh, with Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, uh, that that's kind of interesting. Uh, basically, before he goes and sieges this fortress or something, he kind of, uh, the Bible tells us that he dips his rod in, in some honey. It is <laughs> This is what the Bible tells us. Um, so, he's with a troop of soldiers, probably, and they're in this forest, and he apparently dips his rod in this honey, and then he lifts it up to his mouth, he eats it, and what it tells us is that his countenance became uh, enlightened. Uh, this is the English way that they put it. Uh, you, there's a lot of there's a couple of ways you could translate it, but um, essentially, you, I, I'm, I'm curious if, um, if essentially, this milk and honey symbolism that we see in the Old Testament, I think that it, it might be possible that uh, this is a reference to psilocybin mushrooms in particular, and the reason is that. Basically, this is this might be an occult way of explaining explaining what these mushrooms look like. Essentially, so you have these milky white stalks and this milky white mycelium, and then you have these uh, these honeycomb kind of caps with this geometry on the bottom. It just makes sense that this primitive group would look at this stuff and they would call it milk and honey. So the land of milk and honey is the land of milk and honey because there are psilocybin mushrooms there. And that's why the Israelites want to own this land, because that's where all the mushrooms grow. Uh, So it's an interesting interpretation of of why they're so adamant about conquering this land. um, And they have these wars over it and everyone's fighting for it. I mean, the Phoenicians, the Egyptians, everybody wants to have this territory. And it's also a, a kind of fertility indicator. It's these mushrooms will grow in tropical places. So this means that these, uh, these territories would be good for agriculture essentially. So it'd be a good place to own if you were a big group of people. Um, So that's my kind of interpretation of what milk and honey means. And then it kind of, when you, When you look at milk and honey that way and you start reading other verses in the bible you can kind of you wonder sometimes especially with uh with jonathan who's saul's son and he's eating this honey and his countenance becomes enlightened and then he goes on to win this battle um this might have been a kind of drug for combat and Mm -hmm. uh, jonathan and his soldiers might have taken this and kind of gone forward into uh, and, and won this battle that way. Uh so yeah,
1: with David and Jonathan and their very special relationship and all with the boys I think of uh Yep. Well, uh, Mel Brooks' this Robin Hood movie, Men in Tights. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Don't yeah, know.
2: It's a bromance. It's a it's a Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <not> yeah, it's <laughs> a No <laughs> evidence
1: that they had more than it was more than plat it could be they were lovers, which is fine. Uh yeah. those but uh the, maybe they were they were really yeah. They were definitely very close.
2: Yeah, I think the Greeks were that way, weren't they? they some, Or at least some groups of the Greeks were. Yep, yep. Yeah, so that could tights. be... Men in tights, exactly. Yep. Um, That's <laughs> my head. Yep, yep. Yep. Um, yeah, but uh, I get again. I guess David also kind of plays a lot of music for Saul, and Saul has these like bipolar manic episodes, and he's kind of like going crazy at one point. And so, you know, maybe he's taking too many mushrooms. <laughs> he's kind of losing his shit. That might have been one.
1: He's uh, like, we're talking about the Soprano. Saul is like Tony Soprano because one minute he wants to whack David, and the next minute he's, like, "I love you." Yeah, exactly. And You never know what he's coming from. So. Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah. So that's.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean. The story of David and Saul is some. I'm still amazed. It's very modern. It's got the, all the the yeah. vibes of a soap opera, and the, some of the arguments are very modern. Like uh, David's sister, like you said, will say something, and he'll turn around and say, "What's it to you?" and walk away. You know, yeah. you don't think ancient <laughs> people talking where women and men are just fighting and having yeah. affairs with each other. It's uh, it, it's yeah. An amazing- it's- i love that story it's
2: just wonderful wonderful that's yeah it's it's really interesting huh yeah uh yeah it's, it's like a soap opera in a way it, 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 it's it's like a soap opera really uh lots of drama you know yeah. lots yeah it's
1: good lessons but, it's got everything so yeah, Who yeah. Knows whoever wrote it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah no kidding
3: yeah you know, I saw a question in here about, um, is there a psychoactive honey? And I also, I took a quick look on the web and apparently bees have been known to consume mycelium from mushrooms. So if you had a hives of bees near where the, you know, psilocybin mushrooms were growing, they, sure. I could see very well the possibility that you could get, you know, uh, psilocybin honey, which is exactly what you're saying.
2: Yeah, sure. That could be, yeah, that could definitely be the case. Yeah. And there's awesome. actually some yeah oh i uh, there's I'll just mention this one last thing related to the milk and honey thing, um you know there there's some things in like Greek uh mythology too that seem to echo this as well, which is kind of interesting. I don't really touch on it in my book, but you know those of you who are interested in looking at this stuff you can you can find it in some Greek mythology too, so
1: awesome, yeah, and uh, I think for the going back to the burning bush, someone said it was an acacia bush, which might have gotten them high. But now, also the other, again, high or uh, sixty thousand foot—I uh, don't know what the what the term is—but that you see throughout the Old Testament is the anointed one. People are getting anointed with oils, and that's where we get the term the Messiah. Um, even yeah. some have wondered, uh, as we were talking last night, uh, Vans, how. There in the Gospel of Mark, uh chapter six, Jesus is out with an oil curing the sick. So tell us about this uh, mysterious oil that was so important to the Hebrews and the Jews, which might have done more than just made you smell right
2: or whatever. Right. Well, actually Danny Nemo could probably do a better job of this than I can, uh to be honest. Uh because I basically just kind of briefly reference him and say he says some really cool stuff about this, and I, I kind of move on quick because he does a good job of doing all the chemical analysis stuff. That's kind of interesting. Basically, uh, Danny's theory is that um, Doctor Nemo's theory. Sorry, I don't. Maybe I'm being too personal. Um, his theory is that this might have been like a kind of drug concoction of some sort that used cannabis and maybe some other things, and it was absorbed through the skin, essentially. Um, and there were some synergistic effects of uh, cinnamon and a few other things uh, involved in the anointing oil that would have facilitated the absorption through the skin and uh, the the acting on the nervous system essentially so thats um, that's that's one possibility that anointing oil was a, a kind of it didn't just make you smell good although that was a bonus kind of side effect. Uh, it, right it was like uh, it was you know a way to you know it was a way to get connected to the most high you know <laughs> that's that's what it was so yeah indeed yeah
1: all right and uh and uh give us evidence so let's get to solomon who uh allegedly wrote song of songs although probably not but whatever but where where do we sure. find uh the mushroom in there and as some have told me song of songs is history's first soft porn yeah, yeah pretty it's much it's pretty is. dirty very dirty it's, again it, yeah when you see the yeah. you look at the old testament with the right eyes it's a fun book <laughs> it's, it's pretty it's, it's really something and dancing and having sex is like it's
2: yeah yeah I
1: mean, you're pretty
2: cool <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's i mean it's all about fertility and you know fertility is yeah, about it's sex important. it's that's that's what it's yep. you know so it's it was all kind of this, this, uh, all this symbolism of fertility and taking drugs. I mean, it was all kind of synergistic to this, these early groups. I mean, it was perceived even in some ways as a kind of sublime virtue, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, to be someone who's kind of, you know, in a good mood and, uh, you know, getting laid. I mean, this was like what it meant to be rich and to have a good life to, to these people pretty much. And, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of, I mean, that's, uh, that was the way that they looked at it at least, I think. Um,
1: yeah, they were communing it, with the spirits at all times They knew ecstatic uh, rituals, and it would expand their consciousness. Before so they would be better artists, better caretakers of civilization, or you know,
2: yeah, be connected more to the land. Yes, and it, it, definitely that that side of things too. It's not all about just getting laid, but it, yes, uh, it it was about you know living responsible and ethical lives too, in a, in a respect as well. So. Um, yeah, um the, the Song of Songs is an interesting verse. I it, you kind of have to read through it, I think, in order to really uh, get much out of it because it's really dense and I do the best I can to interpret it. Um but essentially what you have is kind of this kind of a this kind of sacred harlot, I guess you could say. Uh she, this character who seems to be a kind of prostitute uh in in, so- in Solomon's song. Um, that Solomon is kind of singing through. He's using her as the voice of like the kind of like the sacred feminine, which is kind of a strange kind of like paradoxical thing. Um, and the sacred harlot is is basically singing the praises of all of these different drugs in the Middle East. She's talking about um, poppies. She's talking about uh, Egyptian lilies. She's talking about uh, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, ergot. And she does it poetically, and or Solomon does it poetically through the voice of this woman in this story. Uh, so you have to read through it to get all the details, but uh, it's really very paradoxical, very uh, interesting. Um, so it's not like it's it's not like this totally judgmental view of of. Um, Of this kind of you know sexual promiscuity it's a little bit judgmental of it but at the same time it's kind of not it's 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 really it's kind of strange so you have to read through that i guess to really get the the meaning of it but that's that's the song of solomon i don't know maybe there's something else you wanted to touch on there i don't know
1: and there you have it my beloved true seekers the first part of our ab live with adam drisi author of Eden and entheogens. If you think the first part was revelatory and intense, you ain't seen nothing yet, or more like heard. As I mentioned, I'll include for patrons and AB Prime members my interview with Danny Nemo, author of Narrow Apocalypse. He takes the approach of cannabis and DMT being a chief entheogen in ancient biblical times great compliment and you'll love Danny's insights as well including the audio version this is a cool listen if you leverage a private RSS feed from AB Prime or Patreon that works in the podcast provider of your choice so please become a member patron for the full dope and to support this red pill cafeteria Go to Kim for means to assist and get the infernal rewards. Or just contact my ass. Whether it's Patreon or AB Prime, it will cost you about a buck per episode. And that's a deal of many lifetimes. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever might be the only way to counteract the nutsack grip Yaldi Baldi has placed on the collective consciousness of humanity. Thanks for being here, thanks for being yourself, your true self here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye as always.